I think it comes down to humility. Like you have to be willing to lower yourself and like, all right, I'm a doctor. Like, okay. Like I worked hard. That means something, but I'm not a real estate expert. Welcome to the Real Estate Mogul MD Podcast. Thanks for tuning in and taking control of your financial future. This is a show where we not only motivate and inspire, we give you actionable real-world experience to help you live life by design. You'll hear journeys and stories from other physicians, investors, coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs. And now, here's your host, Brett Riggins. Today, we got the opportunity to chat with a family medicine physician who's also an apartment investing expert. He's investor relations with Chavez Capital. He's father of two young boys. What I love most about today's conversation is going to be the childlike curiosity that Dr. Danny Firth has held throughout his career. After learning all the medicine, he's humbled himself to become an intern in the real estate world. Talk about humility, going from daytime being a physician to moonlighting, spreading mulch, and doing all of these tasks for free just to learn. Everybody, please welcome Dr. Danny Firth to the show. All right, Danny, welcome to the show, man. We are off and rolling. How are you doing today? Florida, right? I'm in, uh, yeah, right outside of Tampa, Florida, a little place called um, Safety Harbor. Nice, nice little quaint town. So yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. And what a great place to be in a place, especially this time of year when the winds pick up and start to swirl in little circles. Um, you're in a little place called Safety Harbor, but you're on, so you're on the, on the Gulf side, right? Over there close to Tampa. Yeah. So I don't, if, if you've ever been to Tampa, you drive across this big bridge to get to Clearwater Beach and I'm right across that bridge. And the myth behind Safety Harbor is that there was an Indian tribe here and they have like a ceremonial mound at a park right up the street here. And it's supposed to protect us from hurricanes. And, you know, I've been here for, Five and a half years, and so far, so good. Very interesting. <laughs> the insurance companies probably think differently. They do not care. Long. They keep raising yeah. my premiums, um, <laughs> seems like, every year. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm sure we're going to dive into that a little bit, being that, uh, Danny, you have this little thing called the multifamilymd.com. So I definitely want to jump into that as we mm-hmm. get going here. But I always love starting of the conversation because you are... Daniel Firth, MD, you are a physician and you're a real estate investor. So I always love to start talking about your medical journey first. Sure. Uh, one thing that I love about having these conversations is sharing the journey. Everybody's journey is just a little bit different, but the path tends to have similarities. And when we share those similarities, maybe we can trigger or engage other people to jump faster into the things that we wished we would have done. So tell us a little bit about your medical journey from the start. And then where are you at now? So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of places you can start with that, but I mean, like a lot of people, I, you know, I went to undergrad because that's what you do. You're supposed to go to undergrad. Um, I was not one of those guys who, when I was seven, I had a stethoscope and I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And then I had a chiropractor family friend kindly tell me that, you know, being a teacher is great, but you're going to make 40 or $50,000 a year. And that's, you know, that's fine, but things will be harder. <laughs> um, so then, you know, I started looking at other things. My dad had a heart attack. So I got to meet some docs. Um, uh, and eventually just realized like, Hey, being a doctor 
you could, you're also a teacher. You can formally be a teacher if you teach academics, but you're always teaching patients. And, um, and I also realized that it was a lot more interesting because things were always changing and I wasn't just going to be teaching, you know, American history over and over again. So, so that's how I got interested. Um, moved from Maryland down to, uh, Gainesville, Florida, became a, a gator and, uh, ended up staying on as a eight year gator. So undergrad med school there. Um, you know, got married, went out to Arizona for my family medicine residency. Well, I went up to Minnesota to follow my wife while she's a neurologist while she was training with uh, Mayo Clinic up there. And I, I worked for Mayo for three years. Um, and then eventually, you know, once we had some choice in where we were going to live, <laughs> we came back to Florida. And so we've been in, uh, you know, Safety Harbor since uh, since 2018. And I, you know, I work full time as a doc, um, but I have kind of a strange job. Um, I work as a hospitalist, which, you know, that word probably means something to maybe, well, well, your listeners, it means a lot to them, mm-hmm. but to the, to the lay person, it just means I'm a primary care doctor who only works in the hospital. Um, so I work seven days and they're long days, but then I'm off for seven days. So I have a little bit more flexibility. And that is how I, I kind of got started down this, this real estate path is those weeks off. I was like, well, you know, what else could I be doing with my time? Like, how should I be, you know, investing my money? And so, so that's how I ended up, um, at least having the flexibility to, to get into, to real estate. Very, very interesting. Um, and I see this a lot, Danny is, uh, the, Two physician families, the husband and wife, mm-hmm. the partners that are physicians. Well, that's because they, the, you know, the reason for that, well, we either marry nurses or doctors, um, or maybe physical therapists, you know, <laughs> yeah. because that's all you do. Like that's your life. Like for medical school and residency, like that's, that's your life. And those are all your peers. So, so yeah, that's why you see that a lot, I think. <laughs> Very interesting. And then, um, the path of, uh, I guess it's not least resistance, but this path that that you live just following the steps in medicine. So we see this a lot where we're uh, and I've I had a gentleman on not too long ago. I mean, he was he literally lived out of suitcases because he moved so much because of medicine. Um, so it's interesting kind of developing that that lifestyle, that minimalistic lifestyle to maintain the the requirements. Um, so you guys, you're you're up. You start off in Florida. Were you renting all the way eight through eight years through college, or you know, what did the real yeah, estate we, look like along we, that journey? Yeah, we were renting. You know, I I didn't quite have the the silver spoon, so um, I was going in a lot of debt and and renting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I the the silver spoon aspect of it. I think I almost want to point that out. Like that's a mindset that we have. Because in those scenarios, if we knew now, like if I knew now um, and I took that knowledge back to when um, I was I was renting, I probably would have took a little different perspective on it. Because, Danny, you don't necessarily always have to have money, in, especially in single family, in order to mm-hmm. put an opportunity together. So I just wanted to point that little mindset thing right yeah, there. Yeah, no, that's true. I yeah. Because we do, as a student, you do get a lump sum loan. And, um, 
you know, I did use it to buy a used car one time, so I'm sure I could have used it to put a down payment on on a duplex. <laughs> yeah, the the choice to do the depreciating asset versus the uh, big, you know, creating an asset for yourself. But again, that's just mindset piece, and it's this thing right. like if we if we knew now what like then that would have been whole. How does this work? But even finding those little moments, so we're renting. And that's just something that like conditioned to do. Like, this is not mm-hmm. a good time for you to buy. And, and I think, um, I, I really need to learn how to pronounce his name correctly. James Dolly. Is that, am I saying that right from White Coat Investor? Uh, I, I believe that's how you say it. E-A-H-L-E. I know who you're talking about. Though. Yes, I really yes. need it. I mean, he is drops tons of wisdom and I see so much of his stuff. I right. just always stumble over his name. I right. need to learn that. But what one thing I loved about, um, he said one time is like, you need to have a stable life and a stable wife, basically, <laughs> you know, in order to buy a house. That's that's when you can buy a house, because if you're struggling with one of those things, now I'm paraphrasing is probably a little bit different. But if you think about it, if you have a stable job, meaning stable life and then a stable partner, that's a good time to buy. And when we're going through college, right, we don't have these things. So mm-hmm. typically we're conditioned and it's maybe the best for us that we're not purchasing real estate during those times. Um, so we tend to find ourselves renting and then you probably followed that path when you went up to Minnesota then? Uh, Minnesota, we did get a little smarter. We bought a, a townhome and then I was not real deep into real estate at that point. I was still dabbling in some other things and my dad dragged me into some MLMs he was in. So <laughs> you know how that goes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but we were smart enough to hold on to it and we rented it after we left. So, um, but then, you know, being a long distance, um, land baron, you know, has some challenges. So we ended up holding it for about a year and then we sold it. Um, but you know, now do I wish I held it now that Rochester is bigger and it's like even more of a destination medical center at Mayo? Like, yeah, I wish I, I did, but, um, can't go back. <laughs> no, no, but we can use that going forward. Just remember right, that. And right. You recently, right. what I've been um, uh, looking at is like I never want to sell anything. It always like it's always an inside, in, you know, interior battle that I have with when I have when I'm selling <laughs> real estate. You know, it's like no, 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 no. But in some regards, it's it's good because then you can capture an exchange. You know, I've been calling that like that flip it exchange, right? Um, there's a great book, Brandon Turner put together an awesome book from bigger pockets uh, Mm -hmm. about single family rentals. And just that idea of setting out a five-year plan. And even if it's like, say you're going through residency or, you know, um, you start attending, you know, you're acquiring an asset and just look at that as a five-year plan and say, okay, then when I do turn this, I'm going to capture that equity, but making sure that we're going to roll that into more investments is the, is the key piece. Right. Right. Yep. So we've got this place in Minnesota and then we moved back to Florida because you're probably like me, Danny. I love palm trees and sunshine. There's just something about the world to me that's better when the weather is nice. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. And, um, you know, Florida was, you know, I've been there since I was 18, you know, besides leaving for training. So I just gotten used to it. I met my wife there. All her family was in Florida. And the other immediate reason we came back is she was doing a fellowship. So mm-hmm. she was doing an extra two-year fellowship. Back, so we were back in Gainesville um, for another two years. And so, um, 
yeah, so we bought bought a house in Gainesville, um, you know, because at that point I was working, I had some money, um, and then I, and then it was probably six months or so after back in Gainesville that I started really getting interested in multifamily real estate. You know, I'd always thought about real estate. My my dad had his own real estate company for a while before he doubled down too many times and went bankrupt. Um, but... Wait, so on that, when you say that, when you say double down and went bankrupt, do you mean that he's, he over leveraged himself? He over leveraged. So my dad, I mean, he was a great salesman, good businessman, but he thought the good times wouldn't stop. And so he, you know, he, he was really, he sold single families, sold lots, made a lot of money. And then he got into condo projects and building new condos. And who knows? He started, he got, he went a little crazy. He had invested in a diamond mine in Venezuela. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So, but he got over leveraged and then the savings and loan scandals hit in the eighties. And, um, you know, like, I don't know all the details about specifics, but I know he, he had brand new builds that cost more than he thought and he couldn't sell them for what he needed. And the banks just started taking them back and it was kind of a domino effect, you know, mm -hmm. right down to personal bankruptcy. <laughs> wow. 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 So, so yeah. So, um, but so anyway, so that was kind of, you know, I was three years old, so I don't remember any of that. Um, but I, but I was, you know, I knew about real estate. My dad obviously knew about real estate, but I, I liked multifamily because I am a bit more like analytical. So like, I, I have no idea how to drive down the street and price a single family home. Like why does a home on one street cost a hundred thousand more than a home on another street? I'm sure you can tell me, Yes, sir. but, um, <laughs> but to me, like I just, just doesn't compute, but I can look at the underwriting on a 10 unit apartment and it's basically the same as a business. Like there's income and there's expenses and there's cap rates and you say, okay, this is what the, the NOI is. This is what the cap rate is in that area. The building should be worth, you know, what, $2 million or whatever it is. And so that like clicked with me a little better. So that's, that's how I got really interested, um, in multifamily. And so, you know, I started going to workshops, you know, hired a coach and, and, you know, this is one of the mistakes I made is that I, I, I was afraid to pull the trigger. So like, and then I also, another mistake I made early on is that I tried to do jobs that were way outside of my wheelhouse. So I think I learned this later on down the road is like, you should focus on your strengths and find people to make up for your weaknesses. I tried to do the opposite. So I tried to become a wholesaler and I was sending out, you know, flyers and, you know, meanwhile, like I make enough money and I knew some people, I should have just been doing what I'm good at running the numbers, you know, buy a small building. Instead, I spent, you know, 20 grand on a coach and marketing and tried to turn myself into a wholesaler. And it, you know, it didn't generate any income. It was, it was in hindsight, it was kind of foolish, but I mean, I did learn along the way, but, um, but yeah, I, I should have just pulled the trigger, bought the asset and, you know, hired a coach, but maybe hire him by the hour and not drop point yeah. day, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's very, very interesting. So you have, um, you have the high earning 
potential. You have this capacity. You've got this capital bubble that you're working with. And it's interesting to see your perspective as the, um, uh, I guess, the mistake of going in at, at, at the wrong direction. You should have been mm-hmm. pulling the trigger where you are. Because for me, I from the other end, Danny, I I didn't have the capital. I didn't have anything. So I actually used flipping and wholesaling to create. That was my earning power. So right. I was able to create that where that and that's also my full time job. So it was completely different. <laughs> so that perspective is very interesting. Say, so, OK, I, I have this capital already. I don't you know, I would never suggest I, I get that question asked to me a lot. Um, you know, and I have physicians come to me, ask me, you know, I've been thinking about doing this. I'm like, go ahead. If you want to, I would not suggest that you do that because look what you're interjecting yourself, injecting yourself into. And it's just like, uh, and you're going to try to be a physician on top of that. It's, I, I feel right. your pain, man. I feel your pain. Right. Well, so, so fast forward a few years and I'll, I'll kind of tell you how this story starts to change is so, I, so, you know, we didn't end up buying anything in Gainesville. Um, we, we sold our house, which, you know, again, would have been a mistake. <laughs> should, should have kept it and rented it. <laughs> but, um, but so we, yeah, we sold our place in Gainesville, moved to Safety Harbor. Um, I did buy a single fam uh, or a, a condo. Um, and that, that was fine, rehabbed it. Um, but then I came, but, but then we had some more money saved up. And I was about to buy a 12 unit um, apartment and just run it myself. And I was like, like this close, like, um, so I was going to sell my, my Bitcoin, my Ethereum, mm-hmm. pull out our savings and I was going to pull the trigger. But then I had a tenant at, at the single family that was like, not a good tenant. And it was pain and like he was late and like I was getting notices from the condo board that he was doing stuff he shouldn't be doing. And so I'm like, wait a minute, like this is one person. Um, and I'm about to self-manage a 12 unit apartment. Am I giving myself another job on top of my, you know, 70 hours I, we, I work and, you know, do I want to spend quality time with my, you know, my two young boys and my wife and so the conclusion I came to was I no. Um and so <laughs> no. <laughs> so what I did instead is I took that money and I actually invested it in other people's real estate syndications. So a couple in Texas, you know, I I wrote a check to some in North Carolina. Um there was a storage unit project out in the Midwest. And so I basically just split that money up and became a passive investor and instead of, you know, actively running my own projects. So this the wholesale approach is kind of similar. And I'm, I'll always say that there's no such thing as passive income that's always requiring something. Mm-hmm. But there are there's a spectrum. You know, when we talk about wholesaling, when we talk about self-managing a rental, um, the full flip where you're doing the work, like this is the active of the active. Right, right. And when you say wholesale and then you say self-manage a rental, I mean, these are the, this is the other end of the spectrum. And then you, you pick up and you find yourself moved into the passive, um, the least active of the passive incomes, right? These, uh, limited partnerships. 
and um, and investing in these where you could still feel or you could still benefit from certain things, given the way the deals are structured. And I'm talking specifically about um, depreciation, right? Yeah. So it's just a, just an awesome way of, of shifting your perspective and focusing on something that is passive. Yeah. And then, you know, and I, um, and along the way, I mean, part of the story I didn't really tell is that I, I did essentially do like an internship on how to run apartments. So it's not like, I was about to do something crazy that I never thought about. I, I met this guy, Brian Chavis, who this is what he's done for 20 years. And he's, you know, it, uh, teaches and coaches and consults all about multifamily. And so I met him and then I, I started going to his apartment. He had a 28 unit apartment down in uh, St. Pete. Um, and so I would go down there two or three times a month and basically shadow him. And, and I learned how to use, you know, the backend software and, and actually helped him, you know, like show some of the units and basically to learn, like, how do you do this before I jump into it? And, um, and so it was, it was a great learning experience. And, um, and, you know, he, he taught me a lot and we're, we're, we're still friends. And, um, and then eventually, you know, he, he ended up starting a, a syndication and, and fund on on his own, um, and so that's how I kind of came full circle back to more active, <laughs> you know, but Working. active Working. in a different way. Active in active in something that I feel like suits me more. Where you know my role is to understand these projects and know the numbers and know people who have money who want to in, invest rather than being the day-to-day property manager. Um, and it, which is just not, you know, it's, I mean, I think I could do it, but it doesn't fit my personality very well. I'm, I, I'm too conflict avoidant. <laughs> like I know that about myself. Like, I don't want to like put an eviction notice on somebody's door. And like, you have to do that if you're a property manager. Right. Uh, you need to pay your rent, please. No. Okay. <laughs> I'll come back next week. Yes, I don't. I think I'm not quite disagreeable enough in temperamentally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's definitely a challenge. So I love that the angle that you took. Um, we always have to study, right? We always have to understand. We never stop learning. You want to um, continue building wealth as you never stop learning after you finish school. You continue this, and you stepped into this when you reached out to um, Mr. Chavez, right? And yep. I love the approach where it was probably multiple conversations you're having with this person. You probably just didn't go to him and say, Hey, be my mentor or right. it, you. So you've worked here. You've had multiple, um, interactions with him and you started doing things for free, which is right. very, very, very interesting. I love that approach. And, um, my, even myself in the, the world of medicine, you come in as an intern, right? Uh, residency, mm-hmm. right? And you go and through the this, bottom I'll, of the yes, <laughs> with no pay. And then <laughs> you think about the earning potential after that, right? And it's mm-hmm. so as it's human, um, nature for us to feel like, uh, entitled to, something when we're learning, right? And we don't apply that. We, we apply that very little in different pieces of the of the workforce but you took that and you applied it in real estate and i love it um some of the the i guess people that i've watched grow the most around me have come through in that same mentality where they're coming in to work for little of nothing or nothing at all 
And now I look right. and see where they're at. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. Well, I, I think it comes down to humility. Like you have to be willing to lower yourself and like, all right, I'm a doctor. Like, okay. Like I worked hard. That means something, but I'm not a real estate expert, you know, and I, I don't have a right to be an expert. <laughs> um, and, and Brian's approach. And I, I learned this maybe 18 months after we met is people like me came to him all the time. And so he tried to dissuade people from wasting his time. So what he would tell me to do is he'd say, show up at Park Plaza and help me lay down some mulch or help me pick some weeds. So I didn't get to start doing the, the more interesting stuff of like, you know, looking at the rent rolls and figuring out, you know, how to, how to do the expenses until probably three months. I was there every other week, literally watering plants, weeding, mulching, but I'd come with my day timer. And I'd have old school written down questions about, you know, things I wanted to know about. And while we're watering the plants, I'd be like, hey, hey, B, <laughs> you know, tell me, uh, you know, what are the cap rates looking like? You know, what are you going to do if interest rates go up? And, you know, he would talk to me, but it's as I'm helping him do manual labor for free. <laughs> That's the the real world rich dad, poor dad um, example there. Jim Rohn has a book called 12 Pillars. Have you ever read that, Danny? I know Jim Rohn. I don't, you know, and I have not read that one. Man, it is like a summary of of so much of his life's work. It's just compiled and compressed into almost like a real life story. But the the summary of it is a gentleman, basically his car uh, craps out on the road and there's this big, nice house that it it um dies in front of and he ends up meeting this gentleman who who is like the who's taking care his little old guy maintaining the lawn and the pool and all this stuff and he just starts showing up he, and he had a great conversation with this guy and he starts showing up in those conversations this gentleman is teaching him magical pieces and these are the jim rome bombs you know that that are dropped in so um that same idea of you working with uh, Brian is that way of, Hey, I'm doing this, but look at the value that I'm, that's being provided. I'm providing value. It may be minute and it takes humility to get there. Right. <laughs> Don't hurt your hands when you're doing that, you know, as a physician doing some <laughs> hard work, but the, what's happening is you're applying your ability to learn that hunger, that desire, that passion in just that one degree pivot. It's the same thing that you did to get into medicine, but the 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 base of it's pivoted just a little bit. The content's pivoted a little bit. So wow, what a what a journey that was. So now, you know, I would I would um be interested to be a fly on the wall in those conversations on what happens when interest rates rise, right? What are cap rates and um what <laughs> great conversations that happen doing yard work. Right. Well, now we know what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hardest part for me um, is moving targets. Like if you uh, acquisitions is is mathematical. Um, mm -hmm. It's not emotional. You can pull that emotion out of there. But when there are certain pieces of the target that move because of volatility and it's you're trying to hit those moving targets, it's tough. So we tend to shoot over conservative um, in order to compensate those pieces. Um, just briefly, when you mentioned you can, um, I guess the difference between single family and multifamily, the one thing that sticks out to me, my, my current world is single family. Right. Um, but in multifamily, this cap rate idea, and I just, I still have this feeling that cap rates can be still be somewhat 
subjective. They they are to a certain degree, but but they make some logical sense. So like imagine you're in a downtown, you know, well, I'll use St. Pete because it's in my backyard, or downtown Tampa. Everybody knows Tampa. But it's it's a little bit more insulated. So what you pay for that security is the same way you pay for like a treasury bond security is you're not going to get a high yield. You know, you're for your T your 10 year T bonds, you're going to get 4%. And um, you know, you might get the cap rate for uh, downtown Tampa is actually probably right around the same, you know, 4%. Um, but you get more security. So like if jobs go away, people are going to move out. Uh, you know, the idea is people are going to move out of the suburbs before they move out of the city. Um, you know, who knows if that's really true anymore, actually. But right. but in general, if you look at vacancy rates, which are pretty hard and fast, like that's data, they're just much lower in core market areas. And that's just the way it is. And so that's why that's that's one thing that pushes cap rates. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, if you're if you're in a neighborhood that's like kind of scary and is going to require like a lot of like on on hands, you know, work kicking people out, that kind of stuff. Like, you deserve to get paid more, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Interesting. And, and that piece, um, capital preservation, when you're talking about security, that capital preservation piece. So the lower the cap rate, the, the, the smaller the yield, like the less that thing is going to pay back, but the more secured that that asset is going to be. And I, and ideally the more it should appreciate. So, yeah. you know, there's that idea of cash flow and appreciation and some, you know, a lot of people say it's hard to get both, but a lot of assets like real estate, you you can get both, but you tend to get more one or the other. Like if you buy a car wash, okay, you're going to get a lot of cash flow, but it, I mean, it's not really going to appreciate. But if you got buy a class A apartment in downtown Tampa, it should appreciate, but your cash flow is going to be dramatically lower than, you know, the 12% on your car wash. Yeah. Um it may not appreciate, but a car wash will surely depreciate. I think that's one of the biggest reasons <laughs> yes, using that accelerated depreciation true. path on that thing. That's true. Um, yeah. So just kind of like that, that subjective piece there for me is always up in the air. Um, and then when you get into smaller markets too, where you don't have a lot of movement of similar type uh, assets. <laughs> so then it's like, wow, you know, I, I have a, um, a mixed use commercial building that we refinanced and, when I when the comps were brought to me by the appraiser, I was like, "What you how? <laughs> how? I mean, you're you're this the neighborhood that you're taking that comp from, and then putting it. It's a smaller. It was actually um, Southwest Michigan, so it was a smaller area, okay. but it just it just didn't align. And it's like for me, there's still that that piece um, of subjectivity when there's not enough movement in the market. I think is what what makes it difficult for me, right." Right. So, um, but here you are, you've got this, you're, you've, you've taken this path of, of being the, the intern, um, in, in this, uh, real estate world. Uh, and you're working through, I heard you say something about software, like the back end of the software. What can you tell us a little bit about the software that, that you guys use currently? Well, so, so to be, so currently we, we don't have any projects. So we just started our fund officially, you know, a few months ago. And if anyone's in this world, there's, 
the deals are hard to find because there's there's a lag between what sellers think they can get and what buyers can actually pay based on higher interest rates. So we don't currently have any projects. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, back when Brian was using it, um, oh man, I'm blanking on the name of it right now. It wasn't, I want to say it was Yardy, but it's not Yardy. Yardy's a different company. Um, I can't think of it right now. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so Yardy, Yardy was actually a platform similar to QuickBooks. Yeah, um, I know. That's why I was I was thinking that that's somehow that popped. So we transitioned one. But that's, when, but that's oh, not the it's not the right name. <laughs> accounting has been oh <laughs> so fun in my world, uh, my my family's world, my wife's world. I've literally through the years. I mean, we were using. Um, I think they're called regional account, like big counting firms. And I'm just this little guy, you know, with this, right. this little right. real estate thing. Um, but man, just being literally being brought to tears multiple times over the years when you realize the areas of uh, inefficiencies and, you know, it's just like, and you're talking about moving commas, you know, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's just crushing, because when you live living like a resident, right, living this way where we're we're not going out, we're not doing all these things and we're saving, but then you see where there's an inefficiency and it's like it's mind shaking. <laughs> so in that path, Daniel, I was getting at is, you know, we started off on uh, QuickBooks um, with our accounting firm that was the desktop version. It wasn't online. So we went from QuickBooks. They felt that was the best. We went to this regional firm. They went to they transitioned everything to Yardy. And then from there, we went to another firm that now are, we live in QuickBooks Online, which is great because I can have a snapshot. I can get in and see whatever I want whenever I want. So I love that. Sure. Um, I was looking at uh, the Chavez Capital site and I was uh, uh, noticing um, uh, a line on there. We use technology to find the right investments and match them to the right investors. I love that. And almost looks like uh, almost a, a developed piece of of software so i don't know if, if it was something um, developed by by the group or not but it looks very interesting to where um it can show assets and evaluate assets and link you to them and give you the opportunity to um you know book directly with them on a on an investment scenario right yeah i mean so we we have our we have our own underwriting software it's you know it's it's all through excel um mm-hmm. It just, you know, they're just really complicated Excel spreadsheets. But those, frankly, are more complicated than the average person. So what, what Brian had done is he had a simplified one put on his website um, mm-hmm. where you can basically just plug and play, you know, just like if you were filling out a form online and it'll it'll tell you what your NOI is and what your cap rate is. You just put yeah. in all the expenses and your loan terms and everything. Um but so that that's that's actually what I use. I mean, we have a you know we have filters, and we you know we most of the the deals all come through the same platforms at the end of the day. So like Crexi is the is probably the most popular one. C R E X I dot com, that's the most popular one for um, commercial real estate. Um, and so you know you set up filters on there, and they say, hey, a new property came on the market, and our our niche is in the Tampa area. And smaller apartments. So we're 10 to, we're looking for 10 to 80 units, which is going to be below institutional grade. 
Um, so, you know, you're not competing with the big guys. Um, and because frankly, those ones are usually owned by individual investors, you know, sometimes still mom and pops that have had them for a long time. And so those are the ones that, that we, we go after, um, where we feel like we have a little bit of an, an edge on the rest of the field because Brian's so good at managing these and we can do them in house. We don't end up hiring third party property management services that take another 7% out of the pie. Um, and so that, that's kind of our system is we filter out small apartments, you know, within what, probably 50 miles of Tampa, run them through our filters and basically find out can we make enough cash on cash return to get our investors the preferred returns that, that they're after? Um, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we've run a lot of deals lately and there's just still a lag. So I, I was talking to, um, Chad, who's a, does our senior underwriting. Um, and his normal job is he works for a big bank and he's done, you know, I don't even know how many millions of dollars in loans, but a lot. And, um, you know, what he told me is this is common in real estate cycles is that, you know, there's, there's always a lag time. And what's happening right now is prices were so high and kept going up for so long. And now that interest rates are high, you just can't make them cash flow. Like you just can't do it. If you're paying 7%, you know, on your interest rate and the property is only making five or 6%, then you got to put, 60% down just to make it like cash flow a little bit um because you're losing on the interest. So um but what is going to happen at least hit Chad's prediction not not mine and um Wall Street Journal actually wrote a piece on this maybe 6 months ago about the same thing is that there is a lot of money in commercial loans coming due over the next few years to the tune of 1 trillion dollars. And you know, that's all loans. So that's, um, you know, fixed loans, variable. But what happened, at least in a lot of real estate markets the past um, probably f- four years or so, is a lot of people got variable rate bridge loans. And, you know, that's a bridge loan is a short term loan, you know, one to three, maybe four years. And those loans are coming due and they got those loans for 4%. 5% and now they're going to be 8%, 9%. So there's going to be a big cohort of properties where people are going to have to do something. They're either going to have to get them recapitalized or they're going to have to sell or the bank's going to take them back. Like something's going to happen. And so that's why we're, we're optimistic that over the next, you know, six months plus, we're going to be able to start finding something because these, these, these notes are coming due. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hear that as a lot as well, too. And I say, be ready. I right. say that success <laughs> happens when opportunity meets preparedness. And that little internship uh, idea that you did, I hope that the listeners today kind of take that in and not necessarily have to run out and, uh, you know, throw down mulch with somebody. But the idea of, hey, where can I start? Because if it's going to be in six months, I want to be prepared. What can I do now? And one thing they can do now, Danny, is hit up this site, multifamilymd.com. And they can connect with you there and basically start start that that uh, first chat, right? Just that first talk right. and um and learn a little bit of the fundamentals and uh, you know, start talking with other people, start 
expanding your associations, get ready because there's something that's going to be possible. And that LP path is wonderful because it, it is the passive, it is the least active of passive income. Um, when it comes to real estate, I feel it's just my personal opinion. Um, I don't want you to be completely passive because I want you, nobody's going to care more about your money than you. So you need to understand where, what, and why, and who's slapping the horse on the right. rear end. Right. Well, yeah. The other thing I would add to that is even if, so I, I, you know, obviously I'm a fan of the passive route because that's what I mentioned earlier. I ended up doing with a, a large sum of money, but even if you are passive, you still have to have some understanding because you, I mean, you, you can trust the people that you're working with, the syndicators you're working with, but you need to look at their underwriting and see if their assumptions are based in reality. Like, you know, what two years ago or pre COVID, you could say, well, actually, even early COVID, you could say rents are going to keep going up by 8% a year. But if that's what their projections say right now, like they're, they're delusional. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you look at the the initial summary, you'll see the IRR is going to be this and the cash on cash is going to be this. But what you need to do is you need to look behind the scenes and make sure that the assumptions are, are you know, reasonable and ideally conservative. The best people that do this are conservative. They under promise and they over deliver. And, um, you know, I mean, that's part of why I started doing this is like I've just I had a lot of colleagues who were asking me about it. And, you know, I would talk to them and have one-off conversations. But so now, you know, I put up some videos, some blogs. And, um, you know, obviously we have a syndication of fund that we're looking for investors. But I'm also happy to look at the underwriting on another deal that you found. So, you know, you connect, connect with me on my site, um, set up a call or send me an email. And I'm, I'm happy to look at things. And because I don't want people to make mistakes. Um, I, I made one one of the syndications I'm in. You know, I don't know if it was necessarily a mistake, but I don't think anyone saw interest rates doing what they did. And I got in a deal where they got an interest rate and it was low. And now they have to purchase a new um, cap rate protection. And that's going to cost them way more money. And so they put my distributions on hold, which, you know, basically means you're not getting any money cash flow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, but. You know, things like that. I mean, the interest rate, I don't know if anybody could have saw that coming, but but some things you can see coming. So the point is, do your due diligence. If you don't totally understand it, find somebody who does before you write a $100,000 check. And that, I think, is a great thing to put out there now, like, is ask the question um, when you're going through this, what happens when these assumptions are are not accurate. What are the steps? Mm-hmm. So understanding step one is no disbursements. They're withholding disbursements. Um, what step two is, um, fine tuning the operations, right? Making sure that we're, we're maximizing income or decreasing expenses. Mm-hmm. And then step three is the, the, the old, the old one that we all like to know as investors is the old capital call, right? Yeah, you don't you don't want that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is yeah. a good way to alienate your investors. <laughs> but it's a great thing to do to for the investors to ask, right? To right. know, hey, right. what are you going to do if this assumption right. does not take place, right? So, and then you start to learn to ask the right questions, and then you you can um, learn more just by understanding or listening to what these right. operators. No, are another good one saying. that I would put out there is. 
what is your break-even occupancy? And if they don't know, that's kind of a red flag. Like, is it 80%, 90%? If it's 95%, like, okay, like that's pushing it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I watch uh, one of my favorite things to watch is uh gordon ramsay kitchen nightmares i don't know i have this thing like deep down inside of me may i maybe i, I want to be a restauranteur at some time my wife assures me that i don't uh i've got this thing it's like you can go into the kitchen to an executive chef and ask them what's their labor cost what's their food cost and if they don't know these things then they don't know what they're doing so it's just like that question you have what's your break-even occupancy rate Right. And that's just being able to understand. You don't have to understand the ins and outs of every everything. But if you have a few of these basic questions, you can start taking your uh, progress faster towards right. understanding. Right. Cool. So we've talked a lot. I usually ask if, you know, uh, if the guests, if you could go back 10 or 15 years and talk to somebody in your in your same situation, what would you say? But I think that we've hit a, up on that a lot during this discussion, Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I I'm pretty sure I mentioned it, but I essentially just would have not sold the single families um, and just kept them and benefited from the depreciation over the years. You know, I'm I'm actually about to write a check to the IRS right now on all of our W two income, and it's a big check. And um, you know, the passive income that you make from real estate, you do not pay. 26% effective taxes on it. You pay single digits, usually less than 5% if you're doing it right. <laughs> so yeah, so if I had to go back, I think I would have I think I would have started just I would have held on to what I had and then I would have started buying a little bit earlier um along the way. I mean, as I was getting educated instead of spending quite so much money on, you know, marketing and coaching, I still believe in coaching and paying for it, but, but I I could have bought a duplex and just, you know, learn as I go. And, and as I think there's a lot of value in that as adult learners, you know, we, we do better in the real world rather than theory and ideas. So if you can have a project that you're actually working on while you're learning it, I, I think that just makes it stick a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it, man. Well, Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I love the experience. I love the stack of experiences that you've um, you've had along your journey. Uh, and I love the fact that we get to share those with the listeners out there. So again, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thanks for having me, Brett. I appreciate Absolutely. it. And the, uh, one more time, the site is themultifamilymd.com, uh, T-H-E-M-U-L-T-I-F-I-F-A. M-I-L-Y-M-D.com. Um, check that out. Connect with Danny on there. Uh, if you have, man, if you have any questions at all, start asking them, start talking about it. And I love talking with everybody and hearing back. As soon as I started talking about this, Brett, I, this person was talking about her. This came closer. Mm-hmm. This, there's that law of attraction is the energy that you put out is going to be the energy that you get back. Start using it. Leverage that. Because success happens when opportunity meets preparedness. Now is the time to get prepared. Now is the time because the seed's planted in your head. You're thinking about this. You know you are. You're thinking about it because you're talking about it at work. You're hearing other people talk about it. And like Danny says, uh, I wish I would have started 
earlier, buy more earlier, hold on to stuff. You, we hear this time and time again. So the time is now, the opportunity is coming. Are you going to be prepared? If you have any questions for us, info at physicianwellsystems.com. Send me an email. And if you get the chance as well, uh, hit us up on Spotify or um, Apple or wherever you're listening to the podcast here and give us a review. Give us a five-star review. We appreciate it so we can share the opportunity with everybody else. Until next time, thank you so much for your time and your attention today.